Hi, everyone. Welcome to the BizDev Podcast, the podcast about developing your business. I am David Baxter, your host, and I am joined, as always, by Gary, my co-host, who is also a zucchini enthusiast. Uh, he is quietly making fun of me. I see it in his face right there. Look at that. That wasn't a good one? Darn it. No, ironically, last week, I uh, actually made zucchini boat tacos. Like, it was a recipe where you make, like, the zucchini, you carve it out, like, so it's hollow, and then you do, like, the taco stuff inside and bake it. Really good. So... I never huh, yeah. called myself a zucchini enthusiast, but man, I like zucchini. Yeah, wow. Now it is. Now you are forever. That reminds me of like the celery uh, ants on a log. Did you ever do that as a kid where you have celery and you put peanut butter and then raisins? Yeah, no? the the whole raisin Michael's not not it for me. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Oh, come on now. So we are oh, joined. That's Michael. We are joined by him. You want to do a zucchini with peanut butter? You weird. No, no. I was going to say sliced up zucchini baked with Parmesan and garlic is really good. Okay, move on. Anything baked with Parmesan and garlic is very good. Uh, I true. mean, you could put a rock and put zucchini. Uh, zucchini. Now you could put onions and garlic on it, and and it's delicious. Anyway, or in Parmesan for that matter. All right, we you heard that extra voice? That is Michael Hauser. He is our guest this week. Uh, we will be talking to him in just a moment. Um, but we wanted to start and talk about the insanity that is the crypto market. Not that we are experts. Let me preface this: uh, we are not experts, but we do read news, and it's impossible to ignore. Uh, that SBF, is that, is that his official nickname? Yeah, SBF, Sam Bankman Freed. He is the former CEO of EFX. FTX. 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 I, that's, how, that's, a, that's how big of an expert I am. Lots of acronyms no. in the crypto world. NFT, it's like, FTX. It's like talking to SBM, the military. Um, LOL. So he basically, from everything I can tell, basically turned – his crypto exchange, which was the third largest in the world, so not something tiny. I thought it was and turned second. it into second. It doesn't yeah, I think matter. It, or it was the second it, most used. I know there was the Binance and then FTX and were the FTX. two most used. Yeah, he turned it into his own personal Ponzi scheme. Sounds yep. beautiful. He made off it. He yep. made off it. He made off with your money. That's what he did. Exactly. Um, oh, did you see <laughs> what I did there? Hey, oh, uh, anyway. Uh, yeah, so basically he lost a gazillion dollars and because he wanted to get rich quick, which he was already rich. I don't get that. I think before anything, I am most confused. I am a gazillionaire, and what I'm going to do is I want to be a bigger gazillionaire, and I'm going to cheat and rob and steal to get there. I don't, I don't understand that. He was making money hand over fist off of his regular business practices, which everyone loved, and he was becoming a big celebrity for but that wasn't enough. I just find that so interesting that you're going to do that kind of shenanigans when you're already wildly successful. My question is, <laughs> you say he was making money hand over fist, but I'm curious, does that mean he was making actual money for himself or he was making money that he had to pay back his investors and then he was trying to make more money on top of that for himself? I I don't think that matters ultimately. At least in my mind, it doesn't matter because the – it, whether whichever one of those is true, all he needed was patience, right? But in the end, if he was patient, the one that are they're just out of money now, and none of it was insured. Oh or yeah, anything, so it's just a huge loss for them. And that's the risk they take. But this was that he had built the money printer, right? I mean, ultimately, every startup's goal is to build the money printer. Facebook built it. I mean, and that thing works like a champ, right? Once the money printer is built, then all it is is a matter of time until every investor makes their 10 hundred X return, which of course they were well on their way. I mean, they were the one of the largest 
however you want to rate them, they were one of the largest exchanges in the world. The billions were coming. And the only thing that the Ponzi scheme did was speed up an inevitable timeline. And that greed is, is I just don't understand that. I guess that's such an anathema to what we're building just on a day-to-day basis. Not that we're talking those kind of numbers, but I mean, it, it, every, not everyone, I shouldn't say that, but like the Rockefellers, the Carnegie's, the old carpetbaggers, all of, they all did this kind of skeezy stuff to take their wealth and catapult them to another level, even though they had more money than they knew what to do with. I just, I don't get it. It does not compute in my little brain. Well, I think the the greed and the ego thing has been around for a long time, and we're just seeing it a lot more openly and more frequently as of late. And the, have you noticed how much it seems to be around crypto? The, sorry, what? I said, have you noticed how often these scams, I don't know what you call them, but these problems keep happening in the crypto universe. I mean, oh, how many sure. exchanges yeah. have imploded, exploded for good reasons, bad reasons, bad security, bad owners, whatever. I don't know why anyone at this point. Well, I think the idea of the deregulated and decentralized currency might be a lofty goal like worldwide and as soon as you open up as soon as you take away some of the regulations, like you just open yourself up for scheming, I think. And Sure. You know, if, I if mean, the dark web is that, and it, exactly that. I, I don't know. I just I, to me, this whole thing well, is interesting. Bitcoin I mean, again, got we all know started as a currency for illegal activity online. That's the truth. Sure. I mean, that's that's it's the easiest. The killer app for crypto currency, I should say, is underhanded goods. <laughs> that's the killer yeah. app, right? Because it's untraceable money. For all, I mean, it's anonymous money, I guess, is the easiest way. It's traceable, but it's anonymous by its very nature. And because it's anonymous, it's easy to steal. I mean, it's, it's just, anyway, I could go on. We've talked about this numerous times. I own some crypto. We all know. I checked last the other day. I'm, I have lost Negative 65% of my value. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, I put 1000 in. I told, I've said that before. I bought $1,000 worth of Ethereum. It was just over a year ago. I just, I, it was right over, uh, it was in October. So it's just past a year. And in that year, I have lost $650. I mean, I'm not cashing out because why? Well, we know point, people but, that have invested a lot more and watched it all just disappear oh, just into the go. ether. I know people who built careers <laughs> on it. And yeah. Anyway. Well, Michael brought up this topic. I just wanted to get Michael's opinion real quick because he brought up this topic yeah, yeah, yeah. prior to hitting record. So I just wanted to get his I, take on it. $1,000. I have maybe a couple hundred dollars that I've put into. Ethereum and um, Bitcoin and Dogecoin, you know, I'm hoping Dogecoin goes, you know, goes to the moon because that's, that's, <laughs> that's like a nickel of coin right now or a nickel of... Yeah, you and Elon both, yeah. yeah. So, but I mean... I, Meme stock. You know, the thing about SBF, um, the, what, the way I understood it was he got, he, he had the FTX exchange that he built and then he had Alameda, Alameda Research, which his girlfriend ran. And then he also, most of the, most of what he had, um, the currency that he used was their own crypto token FTT that he that he just created out of thin air, and um, used that as collateral to borrow billions and billions of dollars from all these hedge funds, which is just nuts. You know, I just don't understand how banks would loan money to people when you make when you just create your own money out of thin air, which and then obviously 
Was there actual banks loaning money or oh, was it just based on collateral? I think he got collateral or got collateral, got, got borrowed the money, borrowed money for, um, for, for his, um, Ponzi scheme, as David was saying, um, and, and use that. And then, then, and then this guy, the other guy who runs Binance noticed that this wasn't, you know, he's like, I'm going to sell all of my, my FTT, which then tanked that token, which then, yeah, brutal. Yeah, so like, that's and I know Binance has been on a, a a PR. I guess you could say that they've been campaigning heavily that we're not the same, and our yeah. books are open. And please, they're backed by the Chinese government. Exactly. Uh, yeah, I'm. I'm sorry. That, I mean, that's just so rich because you, they're backed by the Chinese government. I mean, come on. Yep. Anyway, um, it, you know, it's funny. You it, you what you just said reminds me. My wife has been following. I won't go deep into this. Uh, but there's this podcast and it's going to be, he's, this guy's on trial right now. There's this whole thing about these, this judge. I, I don't know the whole story. I'll get to my point in a second. Who has basically created the, I mean, there's people who have disappeared and people died and people have money has been taken. It's just this whole crazy story that this podcast has been going on for a long time. And my wife is just riveted by it. And it all comes down to what it, what reminded me of it is there's this banker who's now on trial right now who was giving this guy money when he was just losing money hand over fist. And this bank just kept giving him more and more. It made no sense. I mean, it was just the worst business ever. And you're like, this guy was so skeezy. He was just throwing money after money after money. And it's like, he was taking other people's money doing the same thing, right? It was taking grandma's deposits and giving it to this yahoo that it was like just... someone investing into the fire festival from years ago <laughs> oh nice i mean well literally done. that's well what done. they were just giving money for this fake sale of access to celebrities on the hopes that people would pay tons of money to go well to be fair the, the difference with... yeah the the difference between the fire festival and what i'm talking about there actually was a fire festival it was just a dumpster fire <laughs> I mean, it did happen. Like if you, I saw yeah. that one of those documentaries, there were tents. I saw them both. Yeah. I mean, no, there was a place. There was, there was, <laughs> there was a island. place called the fire. There was Festival. a jet ski. Yeah. Uh, there was, there was some bread with cheese on it and that was about it. <laughs> that was about <laughs> it. Yeah. And it definitely wasn't worth the, what, 1200 bucks or whatever you bought for. But okay. anyway, there was, I mean, so it's one thing. A Ponzi scheme is it's literally nothing. Fire festival is just a horrible investment. Like they, those are different. One is illegal. One is a bad investment. That's a huge difference. <laughs> Let's talk about Michael. Let's, let's, let's see why we, why he's here. There's a reason um, he's our guest. Yeah, That's right. So you, Michael, I'm going to say what little I know about you, and then I want you to take it and run from Okay. You run the Hauser Consulting Group, Correct. which is a local government relations and lobbying firm for North Carolina. Is that accurate? It's a state government relations firm. I, yes, in North Carolina. Is it just North Carolina? Okay. Yeah, just North Carolina. Yep. So how, and you started in 2013? I started it in 2013. Yes. Uh, so you're about to be 10 years. Very good. About 10 years. Yeah. So I started, uh, I'll just give you my background. Thank you. Yeah, for, absolutely. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Um, after you reached out, I was looking forward to this. So um, uh, my background is I got a bachelor's degree in political science from NC State. And then I went to work um, after I got out of college. Um, in 1997, I went to work at the General Assembly in down on Jones Street in Raleigh. Uh, worked in the State Senate on uh, in the uh, Principal Clerk's Office and the Sergeant Arms Office for three uh, three years, and then uh, on staff um, 
left there in 2001 and went to work for uh, the Insider, NC Insider, which is an online newsletter that's, that covers the uh, state government and the legislature. It's owned by the News and Observer. It's owned by McClatchy. Worked there for two years, was their um, legislative reporter slash editor, um, chased a lot of news at the General Assembly and did customer service work for them. Went left there in 2003 after two years and uh, uh, got a job as a government relations uh, specialist for the North Carolina Association of Educators, was one of their um, lobbyists for five years, which is the teacher organization in North Carolina. Um, was ranked one of the top 50 lobbyists in the state in 2006. Uh, left their, left that organization in 2008 and went to work for the North Carolina Department of Revenue, where I was their director of legislative affairs and uh, for five years. And also during that time, spent uh, about a year, almost a year, uh, as um, interim assistant secretary for tax uh, administration, where I had six divisions and 300 employees across the state of North Carolina. And left there in the spring of 2013 and started my own state government relations um, firm, um, Contract Lobbying. Um, started that in 2013. Had a uh, trade association, uh, Textile and Hosiery Trade Association, for about five years. Had them and had um, another trade association for one session. And then in 2018, I stepped back and was a stay-at-home dad for two years. And um, I'm just now in the process of ramping up um, for the 2023 session and have uh, and I'm soliciting clients and doing some client development work right now as we speak and um, have one, one client currently that I'm helping um, prepare for their legislative session is the National Association of Certified Professional Midwives. So, wow. Yeah. So, did um, know there was I did not know that existed. Yeah. yeah. So there's uh, so that's my background and that's what I've been doing. So. so you've been working within government or whatever for North Carolina since college, basically. Basically. Well, not in state. Yes. In and out of state government. Yeah. Um, well, you have lots of experience in the, in the area, in the industry, yes, I guess correct. you can call it. So leading up to you developing your own consulting firm just seems like almost a natural step. Yeah, that's right. So that's what I thought. Um, I know a lot of people have done that themselves um, uh, who do that, who have done that and who are, who, who, who are doing that currently who worked in state government. Um, you know, some people work for law firms that have lobbyists. Some people, um, you know, some people work for trade associations. Um, and a lot of people are just basically hired guns like myself. They go out and try to get clients uh, to do uh, lobbying work and, uh, government affairs work in the, in the, in the North Carolina general assembly. So let me, let me understand your job is not to lobby for an organization. Your job is to train others how to lobby. Is that correct? It's the first part you just said. The first part. So you lobby on behalf of your client. Correct. Perfect. So the clients are the okay. organizations and you are the go between in communication between that organization and I the guess whatever government correct. or legislative branch that you need to speak with in order correct. for like, yep. those like, roads to meet. Yep. That's correct. So you said something very interesting to me. So you started your business mm -hmm. and, and I'm, I'm getting to the, the broader context here. 
you started your business and it grew and then you voluntarily stepped back to be a stay-at-home dad, which is very cool. And now you're doing it again. Correct. So regardless of the actual industry, that's a very interesting process. I love that. I love the fact that you've chosen that. But tell me a bit about starting the business initially. Like we call that the slog, right? That first year when you start a business yeah. is a nightmare. Uh, yeah, yeah, it is. Yes. <laughs> it's work, no, it's not for the faint of heart. Yeah. It is. It's a lot of work. I, I will say in some ways it's a lot of fun in a weird twisted way because it's exciting and you're excited and you're doing your, what you wanted to do. And there is that, that new thing, but it is super hard. Yeah. It's like that natural when you're now test. Do it, to see if you're going to make it. Correct. Now that you are doing it again, is it a slog again or is it easier? No, it's a slog. It's a slog. Okay. You're, um, you know, you, the document you sent earlier about the uh, show notes, it's, it's very tedious and very, very hard to, to get back going. It's about networking. It's about, you know, being in the right place at the right time. And, um, the whole, the way this whole business works, contract lobbying is, so the legislature meets every every year, but on the odd number of years after the election, which just took place last week, they have a, what's called a long session where they work on the state budget uh, that has to be done by June 30th of next year, fiscal year, into the fiscal year. So a lot of the heavy lifting in terms of legislating in the state happens in the long session. So between now and the first week of January, basically the next six weeks or so, a lot of people move around, they move jobs, they, they, um, they're looking for clients. Uh, they're looking for, um, they're lining up clients for the long session and for the shorts for the next biennium, the next two years. So that's what I'm trying to do now is try to, um, ramp up, ramp up, trying to do client development work between now and, and uh, when the legislature comes back at the January. So, did you find any, is it any easier at all? Or is it totally starting over in your mind? When uh, you're now taking a two-year break. Yeah. And then you start over again. Is it just as bad or is it easier for in any way? It, it's, it's, it's about the same. I mean, it was about the same. So like, I, I, was, I was going to ask, um, yeah, go ahead. you mentioned networking is probably everything. Uh, I mean, it's, it's yeah. not like that you could just generate an email list and try to gather leads from a, like a ad agency or whatever. I'm, I'm sure that for your industry is pretty specialized and the word of mouth and the references and the networking is probably going to be what you acquire most of your clients from, or at least because yeah. you have that reputation built in. So now over the last two years, since you were out of it and then back into it, have those network connections changed and people moved around so much that it's not like something you could just tap right back in. You have to kind of rebuild that over or do you have a foundation. Yeah. Try to rebuild it. I try to do a good, I try to do, um, uh, I try to stay up and network. I'm a member of the North Carolina professional lobbyist association, which is a, an organization that helps do networking and they, uh, they host, they host events throughout the year. Uh, they had one a couple of weeks ago, uh, before the election, trying to break, uh, had some stuff, uh, around the election, sort of invite political consultants in and they do, um, predictions. So I'm a member of that organization, but I, I you know, uh, it's, it's a constant, like you said, slog to try to, to try to you know, network and keep, you know, keep stuff in the pipeline and try to work on 
trying to find clients and that sort of thing. The other thing I've tried to do is, um, so if you're a registered lobbyist or have interest before the legislature uh, or executive branch in North Carolina, you have to register with the North Carolina Secretary of State's office. That's who keeps up with the lobbying in North Carolina. So you will look on there and, and so, or, or you see a company or you see a, an organization that might have an interest before the legislature or the executive branch. And if they don't have anybody, you'd reach out to them. I've done some of that stuff to try to, to try to, um, generate client leads. Um, that's sort of, that's the, that's the slog I'm talking about. It's, it's a Okay. It's funny you say that. I mean, even our business is 10 years, uh, next year as well. And I feel as though the slog is different, but it's always there. Like, I, and I, and I guess it's different. Like, it's our we're not starting over. We're we're growing upon what we've been building, but it's still networking. It's still reaching out. It's still who you know. None of that changes, even if you've been. The difference is, after a while, you have what I call your own gravity, where people start finding you rather than you having to find everyone else. Right. And that's the ultimate goal of the networking. And every time I have to remind myself because. I'll go to lunches and, and schmoozers and events and nothing happens. Some are great. Some are robust, but no, it's not like I ever go to an event and walk out with a new client, right? <laughs> that doesn't exist. Yeah. That's, but that's exactly right. Yeah. That's exactly right. Because I did that though. I have to remind myself because I did that, because I made that effort to go to whatever event um, I'm at in six months, a year, two years, I won't even know, but someone will call me or email me or whatever, reach out to big pixel because they met me and they now need my services. Right. And that's the, that's the nature of networking. And that's, what's so hard uh, when it comes to this stuff, because the bang for your buck seems like zero, but eventually that stuff starts to build up and you make those contacts and friends of friends of friends start referring you. I had a lead literally this morning. I, he, he contacted us straight through our website and which is awesome. I love that. And so I was like, how did you hear about us? What, where did you come from? And he goes, I don't know. Uh, our COO had some sort of contact and he told me to call you, which to me, most likely means somehow my networking got to them at some point, somehow, yep. or maybe my marketing. I don't know, but it was so amorphous to them. It wasn't, I did a Google search, right? So to me, that's the best evidence that networking works when they don't know when they don't, because it's just bounced around like a pinball and somehow my name come up when they needed that service. Yep. Yeah. And it's and, hard to and see that's that. the slog, right? Yeah. Cause like you said before, it's, it's hard to see that initially when you're doing the schmoozing and you, you know, are going to the networking events and you don't see anything coming back to you. Yeah. It's gotta be a little disheartening at first, but knowing that it will come back to you eventually, as long as you keep it up, which is why I asked you, Michael, about, um, even though you took the two years off, did you have a foundation in that network building from before or are all those people kind of onto different things, which you said, yeah, the slog is back and you have to do it all over again. But yeah, it's some of the same people or some, I mean, most of the same people there's, the, the community of government affairs professionals in North Carolina is fairly small. The people who are at the legislature every day, day in and day out, it's probably 
I think if you go to the general, I think if you go to the Secretary of State's website and look up how many registered lobbyists are in the state, it's probably 800, 900, I don't know, 1,000 maybe, probably less than 1,000. But the people who are on the, in the, in the legislative building every day doing what I, you know, shoe leather lobbying, you know, walking around and pressing the flesh, that's probably in the, in the realm of a couple hundred maybe. Oh, okay. So, so I want to ask, I want to pivot a little bit. Sure. And I want to ask some practical questions about the slog. Because I think from an audience perspective, I don't have proof of this, of course, but I believe most of our audience are people who want to start or have just started. And that slog is such a, we've talked about it numerous times. And so I want to, I want to get some practical questions. When you're networking, yep. are you carrying business cards? Yes. Okay. So business cards are not dead. Okay. Well, quite, good question. They are. I hope they're not. I mean... Do you find, are you, are you, when you're at these events and you're in your circle, are you finding a lot of people who are just exchanging information on their phone or are most people handing out business cards? Probably a little bit of both, but I mean, I've seen those, and I've, uh, you were talking about devices and technology that people use. And I've seen these ads for the thing where you can just tap your phone and transfer your business contact information. And I'm sort of, of, um, intrigued by that, but the, the clientele, so like the clientele I deal with the legislature is the makeup of the general assembly is older mm-hmm. than like, you know, 70, 60s, 70s, 80s, you know, which I don't think that they're, um, you know, the best, not super savvy. Correct. Yeah. It may be less <laughs> yeah. advantageous for yeah. you to say like, give me your smartphone and let yeah. me exchange. And yeah. then you're just so like, like you know, it's know. funny. You <laughs> I have the cards. It's funny. You say that though. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, that's why I still have the cards to get, it's like, here's my business card. Yeah. You know, when I walk into a legislator's office, I was like, Hey, I'm working on this issue. Here's my card, you know, that sort of stuff. So they can, act- it's funny. You say but- that though. When I go to, and I'm surrounded by young people, I go to a lot of a college events. Yeah. And I will see, I have my business cards. I still carry them. I just had them redesigned. I'm probably going to design them again. <laughs> but what I, I hand my business card, because to me, it's just like, bam, here you go. Yep. And But I'll see people like, hey, let's exchange information. And they'll use LinkedIn, which has a QR code, kind of swappy swap that you're talking about. And watching that dance of two people trying to do that is hilarious. Because, oh, wait, hold on. Let me open my app. Yep. Let me get to that part. Okay. Okay. You ready? No, you're not ready. Okay. Uh, got it. Okay. You got your camera open. Okay. And it is this ridiculous dance. It's like watching two peacocks kind of do their thing. And it's such a ridiculous dance. And by the end of it, I've already walked away and given my business card to three other Correct. people. I've even in this technology, I just, I just find it interesting. Okay. So that's business cards. I just, I'm very curious about that. Okay. So two, do you use any software to help you a CRM? You know, you're meeting people, you're getting business cards, you're talking to people. Are you still, are you just writing this down? Are you entering this in a computer? How are you maintaining those connections? Uh, that's a good question. I should, probably should do some of that. What you're just mentioning. <laughs> <laughs> okay. The answer is none. Yeah, okay. Fair, fair. No, fair. <laughs> I just sort of keep up. I've got a list of cards and I'll go through and, you know, a couple times a year and sort of like, okay, this person's not there anymore. You know, this person has changed jobs. This person's, you know, moved out of state or whatever and toss it. And then that's how I sort of update my, my list. But you're right. I should probably do something more on the line. 
I, I, I'm not saying this right or wrong. I'm just, I'm intrigued by what people do when they're in the slog. Cause it's hard. We all go through it. And, and the slog never really ends in the regard of we're always going to network. And how do you do that to the, to a, a certain extent? So I wanted to, that's where I'm getting really practical. So, okay. So you don't use any software. That's fine. Um, do you use, do you find LinkedIn practically speaking is something that, is useful. You go and meet someone, you have their card, or do you go and say, my next step is to go to LinkedIn and become friends with them so that we can then converse? Or is that just that's LinkedIn? No. Yes, I do. I do use LinkedIn and I've got like 3,500 on LinkedIn. Like Mm -hmm. I I have found, I have used LinkedIn premium before and I just stopped using it last year because I never got, I didn't think it was worth what I was paying for. Um, but, um, you know, Maybe I could get y'all's in, uh, input on this. I use LinkedIn, and you know, you and I find jobs or I find stuck contact information on there. But then you follow up with somebody, or you try to reach out to somebody on LinkedIn, and they're like, "Oh, okay," you know, and it, it never it never comes to fruition. You know, virtual networking to me has not really has not really helped. You see what I'm saying? The best advice I have ever gotten when it comes to this dance is your job as a network sales guy, whatever you want to call yourself, is to get that next meeting, no matter what you're doing. So what if I'm sending an email, the goal of that email is to set up the next meeting. If I'm on a phone call, then my job is the next meeting. And so the virtual stuff that you're talking about is the same yeah. thing. We do LinkedIn a lot. That's where how we found you. That's how we find almost every guest we have is through LinkedIn. Um, and we have a list of people who said, yes, I'd like to be on the podcast. And that was the last we heard of them. Like, it's just, we've reached out to them and they're like, yeah, 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 we should. And we said, okay, let's get you on the schedule ghost. And now it's now, this is what separates the uh, success from the not success. What do you do at that point? Do you let them go or do you hound them like a dog? Because statistically speaking, I have heard, it takes seven interactions before someone will actually do something. Imagine. You have to harass yeah. that person. And I would imagine in your world, tell me if I'm wrong. I imagine it's even Correct. worse. It's yeah, probably because everybody in your world is getting Bombard- bombarded yeah. with Her- communication requests. <laughs> all it's, that's which exactly is right. So like you, you, in the lobbying world, you have to, if you were talking to a legislator or you're trying to push your issue or your idea or whatever, you have to constantly just talking and talking and talking and talking about it and keep, you know, throwing it back in their face and then, Oh, like, Oh yeah, you're the guy who's, you know, working on this issue. Okay. I got it. You know, I mean, it's, yeah, you're right. It's constant. Yeah. So if you were talking to someone who wanted to start a business and they're, or they have recently started a business and they're going into the slog, you've been in here now twice, you're going through it. What would be your number one advice putting you on the spot here for that person? What would you say is the best thing that you've been in terms of getting deals, getting, you know, contacts that were successful, whatever you want to call that. What was your number one thing that you do when you schmooze and talk and all that stuff? Uh, just making sure that people know that you're available and that you're in your, you know, you, that you can work with anybody. You can, you know, you're a good communicator and you're a good hard worker or just basically coming across as available do the work and to accomplish the goal, but whatever goal, whatever the goal may be. Does that make sense? 
So is your, so you're saying if I'm meeting someone new, if I make that good, strong impression, that's been your number one yep. thing. Yep. Okay. Okay. Now, I, I find that, it's interesting because everyone's got their own thing. Go ahead. I was going to say that leads into the whole, um, I've heard tons of salespeople, like actually successful salespeople tell me this, that it's not about selling uh, your product or your goods as much as it is like buying into a relationship, like you're actually creating and cultivating a relationship with the people you're meeting instead of just trying to push your wares on. That's right. So I guess in your industry that letting them know that you're available and, you know, able to do the work that they need from you is kind of cultivating or building that yeah, relationship that, from the start. That's, that's exactly it. Um, that, you know, this is a relationship built. This is a relationship business. The, the stuff that I do lobbying is relationships. And if you, you can't um, develop or cultivate the right relationships with the right people, then you're not going to be very successful. I think there's a younger generation and it has nothing to do with age, but it's, it's more of a tech thing. The world of the software as a service, the Facebooks, the, the social medias, the whatever, those kind of companies, anything that's a software as a service. I think there is a, belief that when I start that business, I get to skip over that uncomfortable part of building a business, right? Because customers come to me and they sign up and I don't have to talk to them. And of course, once you have that gravity, I mean, Facebook probably doesn't need a whole lot of salespeople. I'm sure they do in, in their ad business, but people come to them by the droves, right? Just because they know what Facebook is. And that's true for, you know, QuickBooks and all of those things, even though they do advertising, but they're not out there networking. It's not a relational business necessarily, except maybe at the highest levels. If I'm selling, I want to be Microsoft's uh, accounting software. That's probably something they go and hunt, right? But I think that's given these younger people who are like, well, I don't need to do cold calls. I don't need to schmooze because I run a software as a service. That's not true. <laughs> and then that's where I, that's my point of that is, Every business is relational at some point in its lifespan. Yeah, Facebook doesn't have to be anymore to get more people. To show ads and make money, they don't have to talk to any of the stay-at-home moms or whatever that use their platform in droves, right? They don't have to talk to them. But when they got started, they certainly did. And I think what I'm trying to, my long point here is, is every business is relational. Some are more so than others. Yours, by its nature, <laughs> is relational. All relational. Now, there's a unique thing to what you were saying, David, where the newer generation or whatever in software as a service, they're developing relationships probably more frequently online or just through social media in that sense. It might not be face-to-face, -face, but they are still kind of building some relationships with people who eventually will be their clients, where in Michael's case, I'm assuming since it's a kind of a closed unit that he has to deal with within the state of North Carolina and the government of North Carolina – that's probably more face-to-face -face than anything else for those relationships to actually happen. Oh yeah. That's that true. That's, okay. that's, that's it. Correct. So is that, but virtual stuff, like you were saying, virtual, my son, he's 16 and he's just dipping his toe into these business waters, right? He's, he's got his a little music business. He does our music on the podcast. Um, he edits podcasts and stuff like that. He's got his dipping his toe in and in his mind, virtual is all there is, right? I, I created a LinkedIn profile. They should be coming to me. No, 
right? I have to teach him that. That's just not in, in his world. Everything's digital. Everything's virtual. And so that's how it should work. And it's a very, it's a, it's a chasm for him to realize he's got to jump over that and go and meet somebody. He, he's got to understand that. And that's, that's really hard because this virtual stuff, I've said a million times, no one's paying me half a million dollars to build them the world's greatest app without meeting me. That's right. They might, they might only need to meet me once and then we could zoom yeah. it up forever, but they need to look across at me, stare at me in the eye and see who, what, what kind of person I am. I don't think that's going to change in my lifetime. It certainly hasn't changed in the last, you know, 500 years of human existence, but right. anyway, unless you meet in the metaverse. <laughs> oh, don't even, <laughs> that's no, a joke. no. No, don't get me fun. started on the metaverse again. It's like a trigger word for me, man. It's like I get the twitches. Uh, I need my That's legs. That's basically anyway. a Ponzi um, scheme in itself. <laughs> oh my gosh! No, it's not. No, it's no, it's not. Because Zuckerberg, Mark Zuckerberg, just throwing himself. money down a hole. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's just throwing his own money he's down a hole. Money and there's no one. No one's making money on that. It's just it's not even to pretend. It's just the ever falling hole, ten billion plus, and they have a game that looks like it was made from 1994. <laughs> Anyway, but I'm no done. one's going to no, be able to no. run away with the cash because they have no legs. Oh, that's right. That stupid dad. What are they, the they going to do with it? <laughs> oh, yes. Until they have legs, that's my forever joke. So I wanted to loop around back to the automation or the lack of automation that you're talking about for networking. Because I think there's a lot of people who are doing exactly what you're doing. They go to an event, they grab some business cards, and they might go to LinkedIn, but it's all very manual. And then the, or they'll lose business cards and then they've lost that person forever. And one of the things that I would recommend is, at least as a starting thing, I mean, money's tight when you're starting out at the early level. So I'm not saying you should go buy a bunch of software, but you could do something as simple as a spreadsheet. Uh, you can use you know free version of Coda or Airtable or any of those online guys, Google Sheet. These are all free, um, but enter that information. Um, I used to use Evernote back when that was a big deal years ago. Um, but it, take the business card, put it into somewhere where it's digital and can follow you around and you can easily look them up. Um, and so that's a, a good step one where you're making sure that all these people, and then the next step, which is what we've recently moved into is to take that and put it into some form of CRM. We're currently using pipe drive. There's a million of them. Salesforce is the big daddy, but there's some that are free, some that get really pricey, but what you can do once you have that contact information is now you can put them into a flow. And this is where I think what separates a lot of people, and you can do this in a spreadsheet. It's just a lot harder, but yeah, you could even do it you in can, an app like notion where you can set up all your contacts and build like a little bit of a database with a board that you can a bit of a database. database. Yeah. Just a the, smaller, the, the kicker is one. the, the thing that separates. And I learned this interestingly enough, we used to have a client years ago. Uh, she now has moved into new, new territories, but she was a master at MLM marketing. She was a stay-at-home mom who was selling. I don't remember which one she was on. Didn't matter. She was one of the high, high ones. And she said, you know what separates me? And she got the trips every year and she was getting a free car, you know, the whole bit. She said, you know what separates me from most people who do this? The follow-ups. Me religiously following up with everyone I meet and making sure that, that that relationship goes as far as it can go. And that's really what separates a good networker from a bad networker is that follow-up. And that's where I think pipe drive and those kinds of tools are really good. Cause you can set up a reminders, right? 
remind me to follow up with this guy because I'm busy and I, I'm going to forget that I talked to this guy, but in two weeks, I need to send him another email to make sure he doesn't forget about me. Right? That's what those tools are really great at. And that's where I think we left Notion because we were using Notion and we yeah, moved because we I want Notion that tickler, as like a right? reference, but we moved to something that can do a little mm -hmm. bit more. Like even if it's, um, you mentioned the automation, the follow-up, you can even connect it to your, if you have like a Gmail account or an email account, and have it like almost be like, hey, reminder, you're sending this email and have a templated email just saying, you know, this is going to this person in your contact list and it'll copy you. So then you have the reference that that email was sent just a way to kind of keep that cycle going. You mentioned Gmail and I'm going to um, this is my last little random tip. The worst thing and I don't know, Michael, if you do this, so if I if you do do this, I apologize for accidentally insulting you. If you email me, I'm a potential client, right? You're emailing me and your email is michael at gmail.com. I immediately discount you. Now, maybe I'm a snooty snoot, which is totally accurate. But the reason I immediately discount you is if you're a real business coming to me for work, your email should be michael at something something.com or dot whatever, because you're now a business. And that's what, I see that all the time. What's really strange is people will say, hey, go to my website, xyz.com, and they'll email me, angela at gmail.com. You have, you have the domain. You own it. Why are you not using it? And a lot of the times is they just don't know. And well, so know my, my public service announcement, they don't know how to set it up. Yeah. yeah. My public service announcement is, dude, use a real email because you just look like a fly-by-night, right? You look like... Even even worse, you look like you're someone fishing because that's what like that's how I know I'm getting fished, right? I've got an email from Bank of America, but it's from Joe at gmail.com. <laughs> like, wait, wait, that's not legit. Um, and that's where I don't know. I again, I'm speaking totally out of turn. I, I might be totally insulting you. Do you use a Gmail or a personal email? I do, do use. I don't. I have a I have a Gmail account. I have a Gmail business account, but it's you're right. I mean, I do need to get. Um, so you're not using a domain. No, I'm not. I need to. So I totally just insulted our guest. Well done. Go me. <laughs> I've heard that before. I've heard that before. But like you said, you know, money's tight sometimes and you have to figure out where you want to spend your money. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, the Google, if you use Google as, and it sounds like a plug, but it's not. If you use Google to get, to be your email, you can connect out of that and it's six bucks a month. Okay. Yes. Yeah. It's it's not a, a huge cost or anything like that. And it, And they'll walk you through how to do it, which is what... I think is, is great. GoDaddy, they all do it. They can tell you how to do it. Yeah. Uh, but I'm, that to me is a big kick. It, it, that or not having a website. Like those to me are the same. Anyway. Okay. I'm off my little soapbox there. It's just something that when you mentioned Gmail, I just felt like I had to say. So if someone wanted to learn more about you, Michael, first, I guess we should ask, <laughs> I neglected to ask, tell me a little bit, what does a lobbyist do? Because I don't actually know that answer. Um, well, a, a government affairs professional is, let's say you want to get a bill passed or you want to get a bill stopped or slowed down and you're an, you're a contract lobbyist as opposed to somebody who works for a trade association like the beer and wine wholesalers mm -hmm. or, um, the textile client that I worked for, for several years. If you're a contract lobbyist, they'll say, you know, uh, let's, you know, Google, I'll use that example, Google um, has, you know, or Facebook, they have 
probably 10 or 15 people on contract in North Carolina. That's that's so their job is to go to the legislature to monitor anything that has anything to do with privacy or um, uh, changing the way the way things are, are, are on the Internet. So or or if you're a or if you're Duke Power and you have that or Duke Energy, you have contract people and you also have people who are in-house and those people are paid the contract lobbyists are paid to go to the legislature and all right they get their dog they get their talking or they get their walking orders and say all right go down there and stop how if and that's what they're paid to do they go down there and they they stop something from happening or they try to stop something from happening or they try to push something from happening and the more people the more the more con the more contract lobbyists you have or the bigger organization you have the more we have in terms of me reaching out and covering the, the legislature so it's like a, there's 170 members of the general assembly there's 50 in the senate and 120 in the house so it's a lot of uh it's a lot of walking and talking i got you okay and if anyone had any questions or wanted to reach out to you how would they do that you can find me on linkedin or you can find me on Twitter. My business Twitter account is Hauser Lobby, H-O-U-S-E-R-L-O-B-B-Y-N-C. Or you can find me on Twitter. And my personal account is Mike Hauser, M-I-K-E-H-O-U-S-E-R. We'll be sure to include those connections in our show notes as well when we post the podcast. Thank you, guys. I appreciate that. Thank you so much for your time today. We really enjoyed having you on the, on the show. Yeah. Uh, I think it's really interesting to uh, hear, you know, when you're a new business and I think that's just as valuable as someone who has been in business for 50 years. I think, I think they're all really great and I appreciate your time. Um, Gary, if someone wanted to talk to me or you, I don't know why they'd want to talk to you, but if they did for some reason, how would they do that? They could reach out through our email. Hello at the big or they can make a comment on our YouTube page under any of our videos or reach out to any of our social media networks, uh, big pixel and big pixel NC Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and even TikTok. Don't tell Dave. Not TikTok. No, don't go to TikTok. All right, y'all. Thank you so much for joining us. We will see you next time. Thanks again, Michael. Thank you guys. Appreciate it.